was a rich man who had a steward. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. Last week we were looking at Luke 15. And the three parables that were there as Jesus sought before the scribes and Pharisees to open to them the heart of God. To explain what was going on there. Criticism that he was spending time with the unworthy ones. With the tax collectors and the sinners. Why that mattered. Why they mattered to God. That of the lost sheep, of the lost coin. And then of the lost son that we often call the prodigal son. And I'd said last time that some suggest that it would be better to call it the lost son, but to speak of the prodigal father because of his prodigious pouring out in the most extravagant fashion of his forgiveness, excuse me, of his welcome home. Well, there's the other figure that we talked a little bit about last time in that story, the elder brother. And in some ways, we might speak of him likewise as prodigal, prodigious in his wastefulness, but his waste is not in spending money or in showering forgiveness, but in wasting what he does have in the father's house, what has been given him. The term that's used here, the verb that's used of the the steward who is wasting the master's funds is the same word that is used in the Greek to describe the, the wasting by the younger son of the things that have been entrusted to him. We know in his case that when he repented of his sins, came to his himself, that he returned home looking to lay hold of that which would not so easily pass away, and grateful for the grace that he received at his father's hands, we imagine that he was not so quick to be wasteful in that. On the other hand, the elder brother, it kind of leads into the 16th chapter. I'd said he was first opening up to the scribes and Pharisees things of the heart of God, As you go into that next chapter, he begins to focus more on them and to be critical of where their hearts are. They're not with the father's heart. They're much more as the elder brother. And there's some question of, are they wasting the gifts of God? That first parable he tells is definitely pointed. It's definitely directed at them. Interesting story. I think the point of the story is clear at the end. There's a little ambiguity along the line. How was this man wasting his master's funds? Was he speculating with them? We have another story that Jesus tells of the unforgiving steward or servant, the one who is is running up the huge bills, who owes more than 10,000 talents, whose master calls in the accounts. Well, he's been wasting the funds, he's been speculating with them to run up that bill. What has this guy been doing? We don't know whether his solution to his problem reflects what he's been doing in dishonest dealings. We know that when he's faced with being thrown out of his job and not knowing what he's going to do, because he hasn't got any work he can do and he's too proud to do a lot of what he might, doesn't really appear to have a lot of friends and he wants to make some, he decides that he's going to cut all of the bills 
for the creditors, the debtors of his master. And there's always the question at that point. When he cuts them, is he cheating his master further? So is he continuing whatever he was already in trouble for? Or was he perhaps overcharging and pocketing the extra? Was this his own profits that he was sacrificing in order to cut down the bills? Well, we don't know for sure. What we do know is that he's commended at the end. And there's another little bit of ambiguity. He's commended by the master, or the Greek is hokirios, it's literally the Lord. Well, which Lord? Is it his own master in the story, or is it the Lord Jesus himself in telling the story who commends him? What's he commended for? Not the dishonesty, not cheating his master, not wasting the funds, but for his shrewdness, his prudence when the time comes. He looks and says, well, what's the most important thing here? Well, that I'm looked after. When the time comes, I need some security. And so he takes whatever he has. Maybe it's an opportunity to cheat his master further. Maybe it's cutting his own profits. But he invests it all in what he thinks is most important. And that's what he's commended for. And when Jesus looks to the Pharisees and the scribes, the question is, what is most important? You're supposed to be the teachers of my people. You're the ones who are supposed to know God's law, who are supposed to know the things of his will. You're supposed to be teaching others. What's most important? In your lives, it doesn't appear to be the things of God. It doesn't appear to be the things that are eternal. And I commented last time, I don't know that I'd, I'd given the quote at verse 15, he will go on to say, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men, among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You're putting all your hopes in the things that are in this world, and they're all passing away. Have you lost sight of who you are and what your lives are supposed to be about? You've lost it for yourselves. You've lost it for the others. You're supposed to be teaching others. You're supposed to be bringing them in. Here's a man who was dishonest, but when he realized that what mattered most was in jeopardy, he took whatever he had, he used whatever he had to ensure that his end was secure. The younger brother in the story of the prodigal son, the lost son, when he came to himself, saw what really mattered. He had spent all the things he could in this world. All that he had in this world was gone. What he saw was that his father's house was the place to be. Last time I commented on that. He comes home without any sense that he can still claim the sonship. He thinks he squandered all of that. He's wasted it. He has no home that way, but will come home to be a servant in his father's house. He needs to be there. That's what matters most. And the father, for his part, opens the door wide, has been longing and waiting and watching and praying, and when the son comes, welcomes him home. And we know that that's the heart of the gospel that that's there in Jesus. He seeks out the lost sheep, not to condemn the sheep, 
in his wandering, but to bring him home, to see him reconciled, to bring him back into the flock. There's always the question as we look at these things about where we are in our own lives. What is it that matters most to us? On the one hand, we can talk about our worship and our devotion to God, but is that what's reflected in our lives? When other people look at us, is that what they see? There's that that old question of, you know, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Jesus does go on in his words here to speak about the bottom line choice of you cannot serve God and mammon. We know that that echoes what comes up in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly at the end of Matthew 6, where mammon is not simply the riches, not simply the wealth, but what they represent of the power to do my own will. And so it's still the same ultimate choice as was there in the garden. Do we worship God as God or do we put ourselves in the center? Who is the Lord we serve? What matters most in your life is what you accord the most worth to and therefore the thing that you worship. What is it that forms all of the other priorities? What is it that comes first? The Pharisees needed to be reminded that what mattered most was to be in the Father's house, to be about the things of their Father, to be receiving that for themselves, to be teaching it to others, to put all of the things that they had in worldly terms in the service of the heavenly ends. What about our own lives? What forms the priorities? It's not a condemnation. It's a good thing to see that things might not be online, not because you want to be off base, but when you see it, like the son who was lost, the younger son who came to himself and saw where he was and where he needed to be and repented and returned home. The heart of the gospel is that way of repentance. Remember the lost sheep. Remember the lost son. Remember the words that we'll hear again in the comfortable words that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What did God consider the priority, the first priority to be? To restore those who were lost to his kingdom. What did he think it was worth? All that he had, that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all who believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. On this day, as we come before him, it's just that Another thought that comes, we think about repenting in order to return to God. It's a wonderful passage out of C.S. Lewis where he remarks that repentance is not what we need to do before we return to God, but is what returning to God is all about as we come to him, as we let the light of his gospel shine upon us to show us where we fall short, yes, but also to show us how much we are his own precious ones, how desperately he desires us to be returned, how much he wants us to take all that we have, all that we are, and invest it in his kingdom, invest it in the heavenly treasure, not waste it, but invest it in him, 
confident that his desire is to give us life and life in all its fullness. This is good and it is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all.